The Old Testament reading this morning comes from Isaiah chapter 60, beginning with verse 1. Isaiah chapter 60. Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord rises upon you. See, darkness covers the earth, and thick darkness is over the peoples. But the Lord rises upon you, and his glory appears over you. Nations will come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your dawn. Lift up your eyes and look about you. All assemble and come to you. Your sons come from afar, and your daughters are carried on the hip. Then you will look and be radiant. Your heart will throb and swell with joy. The wealth on the seas will be brought to you. To you the riches of the nations will come. Herds of camels will cover your land, young camels of Midian and Ephah. And all from Sheba will come, bearing gold and incense, and proclaiming the praise of the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Our New Testament reading is from Ephesians chapter 3, verses 1 through 12, and this can be found on page 1174. For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus for the sake of you Gentiles, Surely you have heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. That is, the mystery made known to me by revelation, as I have already written briefly. In reading this, then, you will be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to people in other generations as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets. This mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and sharers together in the promise in Christ Jesus. I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of his power. Although I am less than the least of all the Lord's people, this grace was given me to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery, which for ages past was kept hidden in God who created all things. His intent was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms, according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. In him and through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. This is the word of the Lord.
morning. Um, just need to get settled for a second. Almost fell over coming out of the pew just there. I also tripped up the steps uh, coming up from bringing my kids down, so hopefully I don't fall while I'm preaching. Uh, <laughs> that has happened to me before. I can tell you about it later. All right. So, uh, as you heard earlier, we are celebrating Epiphany uh, today, the coming of the wise men to meet the Christ child. Um, these wise men were uh, foreigners, astrologers, uh, something like horoscope writers, come from afar. They were about as different as you can get from your faithful Israelite awaiting the Messiah. Different in ethnicity, in religious beliefs, in culture, in homeland. But they too were drawn to the child. Bearing their gifts and their allegiance and their worship. On Epiphany, we celebrate that the love of God reaches past our expected boundaries. Connecting us to one another through the work of Jesus Christ. Our text from Ephesians this morning draws us into these same themes of Christ breaking down barriers and drawing all people to himself. Uh, In fact, actually, in a very similar text in Colossians 1, it's not even just people, but all of creation. It says, For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in Jesus, and through him to reconcile to himself all things whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Around our uh, manger scene at home when we set up the little nativity, we, I always like arrange all these little wooden animals around it too because I like to imagine that they also came to see Jesus. Um, it's like giraffes and stuff. There, I got them in Africa. <laughs> uh, you know, they may not have come then, but in, if not then... Uh, they too will be gathered to Jesus in the end. Um, That is a bit of a digression. Ephesians focuses on people, specifically the Jewish people and the Gentiles who are brought together through the gospel. Um, It's fitting for Epiphany since the wise men were Gentiles. Anyone who's not Jewish is a Gentile, so that means most of us. In our text, Paul is having a little digression of his own. Uh, If you heard um, John (laughs) reading it, uh, you maybe heard him sort of like stop in the middle of a sentence and then kind of start a new sentence. Or if you were looking at it, uh, you can see kind of there's a dash. Paul starts one idea and then interrupts himself and starts a new idea. And then he picks up again in verse 14 with the first idea. So this is like a little parentheses um, in what he's trying to say. You can see he repeats the for this reason at the beginning of our text and then back at the end. He's like, okay, back to what I was saying. Um, And through his digression, Paul is explaining that God has given him the job of preaching to the Gentiles and making sure that everyone knows that the Jewish people and the Gentiles have now been received into the faith on equal footing. Heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and shares together in the promise of Christ. Together, 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 he says. If you've been around church for any time at all, you have probably heard enough about this Jew and Gentile conversation to be bored by it. Uh, But it's kind of amazing. Like, if you imagine uh, 
living your whole life as a Jewish person, being defined by being set apart for God. Your faith required you to be wholly distinct from the cultures around you. And that's not just about how you worshipped, it's also about the food you ate, the clothes you wore, how you planted your garden, what buildings you could go into, even how quickly you could walk on the Sabbath. And then here comes Paul just saying like, nah, not anymore. Like that's why there's so much discussion about it in the New Testament, because it was an enormous change for the Jewish followers of Jesus. And that kind of adjustment is something that everyone in the church was asked to make. Slaves and masters, children and parents, male and female, rich and poor, all are one in Christ Jesus. Everyone created in the image of God, everyone welcome at the foot of the cross. No one rising above or sinking below another, no matter what the surrounding culture would have to say about what they deserved. Everyone had to adjust to what the cross meant. And we are still adjusting. Even we, largely Gentiles, the ones who had to have the welcome extended to us, like the borders had to be enlarged to go around us, we're still trying to figure out what it means to extend the wide welcome of Christ to those who we might not easily include. We are always learning to love across lines. The lines that our culture tells us, either directly or indirectly, that we should not cross. And it is required of us as believers in the strongest of terms. 1 John 4 says, Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother or sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. In, uh, in seminary, we read this book, whose name I cannot remember, and I can't remember the name of the author. <laughs> it has grapes on the front. Uh, <laughs> is that helpful? Uh, anyway, in the book, the author uh, uses the metaphor of, um, from John 15 and to explain this kind of connection. So in John 15, Jesus is talking about, you know, I am the vine, you are the branches. Um, and so the author takes this metaphor and says, like, if you think about it, the life of Christ is like the sap that runs through each of us. It is the thing that keeps us alive. Um, and then the author points out that if you want to cut yourself off from another one of the branches, like there's somebody you just really don't like in the church, and you'd like to disconnect yourself from them, you necessarily have to disconnect yourself from the vine. You can't be separate from the branches and still attached to the vine. Somehow our love of our fellow believers and our love of God are just so intimately connected. Robert Capon, um, one of my favorite authors, says the same kind of thing um, differently in the way he interprets the parable of the prodigal son. Um, if you remember that story, the story of the father and his two sons, and one of the sons asks his dad for his inheritance early, and he skips town and he wastes his money on a wild life. And at some point, his revelry comes to an end, and he finds himself starving and longing to eat the food that the pigs are eating right out of their trough. And so he plans this humble return to his father, just to ask to say if he could just stay there as a servant in his house. 
And the dad, who represents God in the story, doesn't even give the boy time to apologize. He rushes to hug him and bring him back into his home, fully restored, not just as a servant, but as a son. And the father celebrates his return with this lavish party. And while they celebrate, the older son is livid. This party is being held in honor of his good-for-nothing brother while he has been the faithful son all along. Now, the party, of course, represents the kingdom of God. And Capon points out that at the end of the story, the only person who is not in the party is the older brother. And it's not because he's not invited. It's because he doesn't like the other people who are there. He keeps himself out because he doesn't like who is in. I really like, I mean, there's other ways to read that parable. Uh, I really like that reading, but I also find it quite scary. What if I would choose not to go into God's kingdom because I don't like the others who are invited in? The call to love is central to our faith. Love God, love neighbor, so tightly connected to one another. And in his grace, Jesus always seems to be pushing the boundaries wider. So in our passage, Paul talks about his own part in that grace. He has been called to preach that the Gentiles are in. Because this hasn't always been known, he says. It's been hidden. God, it seems, is doing a new thing in the church. It's not entirely new. Israel has always been called to be a blessing to the nations, right? In their service to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob has always been about more than Israel. But now the distinction is being erased. All are one in Christ Jesus. Which, of course, erases not just the line between Jews and Gentiles, but any other line that we might want to draw as well. And then, and then Paul goes on to say this crazy thing. <laughs> he says, his, that's God's, so God's intent was that now through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. Through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. What does that mean? Like, <laughs> I don't know. You know, there are some parts about it that we kind of understand and some parts that we, that we really don't. Scholars argue about who the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms are. Some say it's good angels. Some say it's angels in general. Some say it's the powers and principalities, which are mentioned elsewhere in Ephesians. Um, and that would be like destructive forces of evil. And then some people argue that those powers and principalities are like uh, the sinful structures of this world. Uh, that, you know, the things that hold more sway over us than any one individual's sin, like white supremacy, for example, would be a power and principality. Um, like, I like that last interpretation, but I don't know if that's what Paul's talking about. Um, but when we don't know something, we can pay attention to what we do know. Uh, and what seems clear in this verse is that God's intention is to reveal God's own wisdom through the church. And it doesn't say how. 
It doesn't say that the church has to do anything in particular. It is God who is revealing the wisdom through the medium of the church. Like the paints didn't paint the painting, the artist did. It seems like Paul is saying that the body of believers, just by being drawn together by Jesus, is a revelation of the wisdom of God. It seems that somehow our life together has cosmic implications. And of course, we all know that life in the church can be very difficult, uh, as, in, as any community can be difficult, right? We disagree, we fight, we hurt one another, sometimes very deeply. And when we try to then also cross over dividing lines, then things get even harder because now we're introducing all sorts of prejudice and stereotype that sometimes we don't even know we have. Sometimes we do know we have it and we do it anyway. Um, so we have to work to stay together. Community requires a lot, but being the community of Jesus also reveals a lot without us really having to say anything. Now, I don't know the extent of what of the wisdom of God that the church reveals, uh, but there are a few examples that I thought of. And one of the most powerful statements that the church makes is of the worth of all people. It's profoundly countercultural to every culture. That those who hold the power and those who do not, those with everything and those with nothing, those who are easily accepted and those who are shunned, those who are educated and those who are not, those who seem on top of things and those who struggle through life, that they would all share together in the body and blood of Christ on the same footing, equally approaching the God of all with freedom and confidence. Here is one thing that the church reveals just by virtue of being together. It says something profound about God and humanity. In just being together, we declare that God is for us, all of us, and that the structures of the world that weigh and rank us against one another are empty and meaningless, clanging gongs and clashing cymbals. And actually, the very difficulty of staying together, all that struggle that we have to do, you know, the fact that we don't actually know how to love that well, and we sin against one another and mess things up all the time, sometimes very, very, very badly, uh, that too is a powerful statement about the grace of God. That this gathered body is not nearly perfect, and yet is welcome. And then, of course, the work that we do to stay together. All the listening and discussing and discerning and the conflict resolution. You know, when we're doing it well, all of that work speaks of a God of peace. A God of love. Who calls us not to, be just, not to just be like good people on our own, but to be together. When different kinds of people come together and assume that they are on equal footing, then they have to do something when one group is maligned. And so then it starts to speak of a God of justice too. 
Like, I don't know what it is to be poor. And I am very likely to judge things that I don't understand. But because I have done church and so done life with people who are on the other side of that divide from me, people who struggle to make ends meet, I know something of how expensive and exhausting it is to be poor. About how one crisis seems to follow another and you just can't seem to get ahead. About the unique pressures and setbacks, about the sheer amount of paperwork involved in being poor. How easily people in poverty are overlooked and ignored by the very people who have the power to change their situation. I always think of that story um, of the Hellenistic widows in Acts 6. I feel like this story doesn't get enough attention. Uh, They're being overlooked in the distribution of food in the church. I'm sure there was all sorts of prejudice involved in that first thing. Um, They are Gentile women with no husbands, and so no power at all in that culture, or I would imagine among Israelites who are still adjusting, right? But they spoke up. Maybe they assumed their own equal footing. And the disciples, these Israelite men with all the power in the church, having met Jesus face to face, they listened and they changed. Like if you read the story, I think you can even catch a hint of their like irritation for like not being able to do things as they were doing them before. They're like, we can't stop preaching the gospel for this. Uh, But they change. They change the structure of the way they do things to make sure that this won't happen again. Our lives together teach us, and justice flows from that learning. By its very existence, its togetherness, its gatheredness, the church speaks of the manifold wisdom of God. Tony mentioned we're starting our series next week on Romans 12. It's like I'm getting a head start right now. Um, And we're going to talk more extensively then about our life together in the church. You know, it's so easy to think that church is like boring or unnecessary or that church is some like outdated institution and it definitely can be all those things. Uh, But church isn't Sunday mornings. Um... It isn't even like all the activities that we have going on through the week. The church is the gathered people of God who are together because Jesus has drawn them together. And Jesus draws us together not just to sing a few songs and to hear a sermon or to be inspired somehow, but to do life together, to learn the wide welcome of Jesus, to learn to love And just by doing that, to proclaim the manifold wisdom of God. Now, I think it would be, um, feels wrong to say all of this without recognizing how deeply we have failed. Um, I mean, again, I think our failures speak of the grace of God, but, but it's also true that we have done a lot of harm, particularly by not letting this welcome be as wide as it is, whether that's to our LGBTQ plus siblings or to women or to people with disability or as much as much of the white American church would like to say by 
crossing boundaries of race, it, I mean, would like to say otherwise. <laughs> They'd like to say, it's not a problem. It's a problem, I'm saying. <laughs> uh, that's what happens when I go off my manuscript. Okay. Uh, <laughs> I mean, we've done harm. And usually it's when we forget love for the sake of legalism or when we forget the equal footing for the sake of a pow the power of a few. But the gospel calls us to stretch our arms wide, like the disciples who changed because of the voices of the Hellenistic widows, like all Israelite Christians who had to adjust to life with the Gentiles, we are learning the breadth of love, and it will continue to stretch us. That shift, that change that love requires of us is just another way that we follow Jesus, the unchangeable who did not shy away from change, who took on flesh and came to live and die and live again for our sake. The love and the costly welcome of Christ are at the core of our faith. Christ holds all things together, is gathering all things to himself by the power of the cross. It is the reconciliation of a broken world in and through Jesus Christ. And just by doing life together, we tell that story. We tell the story of Jesus, whose welcome was shown to us in so, so many of the stories of Scripture. To the unwed teenage girl, to the shepherds who gathered in the manger, to the wise men at Epiphany, to the fishermen and the housewives and the widows, to the Samaritan woman at the well, to the woman caught in adultery, to the sinners and the scofflaws, to the tax collectors, to the sexual minorities, to the prostitutes, to the soldiers, to the Pharisees, to the children, to the Romans, Greeks, and Jews, to the sick, deaf, blind, disabled, to the rich and poor, men and women, slave and free. We are all gathered into the wide welcome of Christ. Thanks be to God. Please pray with me. Lord, you are, you are good. You are good and we can trust that. And you have shown us yourself in Jesus. You have shown us how your love continued to stretch everybody you met. May we not be afraid to change. Not be afraid to learn and adjust as we learn to love as well. Lord Jesus, may we follow you in this. Amen.